and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who loves roster release day. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I love it, especially when I didn't see it coming and didn't really know it was coming. And then suddenly it was and it was here and the roster was released. We didn't get a lot of notice, did we? We got an email yesterday saying, oh, by the way, Greg Bell has a teleconference tomorrow to talk about his roster, mm-hmm. which will be named in the morning. Can yeah. I ask you, Taylor, what, what time did you start checking uh, either the US soccer website or Twitter for the US men's national team roster? Um, I, checked, I checked before I took the dogs out for a walk, so like around 9 a.m., and I think I didn't see anything, or maybe I just missed it. Uh, and then I failed to check it again until I was like on the way here, and I was like, oh, I bet it's been released. So I pulled over and checked, and it had indeed been released, and then I saw a <laughs> note your desk, and I cried for a while, and then I parked the car and came into the office to listen to the conference call. Oh, <laughs> dry your eyes, Taylor. Dry your eyes. I mean, they're dry now. They weren't then. <laughs> So Berhalter gave some answers about, you know, player inclusions and absences, but he mostly, I think, did a good like politician type job of just talking around some stuff. Is that is that you know, a fair analysis? You know, Daryl, I think the important thing here today is that we're having a conversation. And when you have a conversation, you're able to get to the heart of the matter. And when you truly find the heart of the matter on an issue like we're talking about today, then you really have some clarity and you're able to move forward. And I think that's what this is all about. Next question. <laughs> All right, so this 26-man roster, which means essentially three spares, right? Mm-hmm. It's for the CONCACAF Nations League. You know, I'm a big Nations League fan. Mm-hmm. For the games against Cuba in D.C. and then Canada in Toronto. That first game against Cuba is Friday, October the 11th at Audi Field. Mm-hmm. We are going to go through the roster uh, position by position, talk about the various inclusions and absences um, and and what we what we read from these tea leaves that have been thrown at us. We are. Um, so are you, are you ready to start with goalkeepers? Yeah. I mean, it's about as we expected there. Uh, three goalkeepers, Zach Steffen, Sean Johnson, Brad Guzan. Not necessarily in that order, but maybe probably in that order. So, yeah, it's interesting, right? Guzan is the senior keeper, but I would still expect to see Steffen start um, essentially both of these games. I would agree for two reasons. The first is the show we did uh, this past weekend. When I looked at Stefan, when I looked at his distribution with Dusseldorf and everything he was offering there, it felt like maybe this past round of friendlies, specifically the Mexico game, was a bit of a one-off, a bit of an outlier. So it seemed like his distribution was better. But then also, if we're going by the Berhalter well, logic... Well, the Venezuela game as well. Well, there's that too. But we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> we're talking about the last two. Uh, but then also, <laughs> if you're going by the kind of Berhalter past his precedent model of you stick with your guys, your squad that it does yeah. seem like Zach Steffen will be uh, between the sticks, at least for the first game against Cuba. Speaking of sticking with your guys, yeah. it, it was really, um, really, really obvious. The the word of the day, mm-hmm. and he's used this word before, is the group. Yes. Right? Berhalter was talking a lot about the group, and the group is making progress, and the group is doing this. And this will be the, f- the game against Canada will be the first time the group plays an away game. And I'm starting to think that the sort of the names that keep getting called up that may get, keep getting called up that maybe people are frustrated with, and you know the, the less glamorous names like say uh, Daniel Lovitz, Christian Roldan, Jesse Zardes, uh, Corey Baird. Um, I'm starting to think that Berhalter sees this as he has a group of players and he's working with them to teach them this system, and no matter what, even if like there's another player emerges, we've already invested in teaching this group certain things, mm-hmm. so we're sticking with the group that was the sort of undercurrent that i i i read into uh 
today's press conference. Yeah, I, I think uh, I had that idea going in, like, or in my head going in because I saw a tweet from Adam Bells of Scuffed uh, right before the the conference call. 18 of the 26 in the squad are from Major League Soccer, 14 of the 27 from the January camp, indicating that Greg Berhalter does know his core squad. And when you texted me, maybe two minutes, three minutes into the, or we were texting back and forth throughout the conference call, but when you pointed out the group, side, side conversation. Yes. Uh, when you pointed out the group aspect of his uh, speak, it became very obvious and very repetitive. And yes, I think it is indicative that we sort of know who that core squad is going to be fairly consistently unless like things dramatically change. And while that could be a good thing, it, it is a thing that I right now at least am not as excited about for sure. All right. Well, are you ready to talk? So we're at least happy with our goalkeeper pool, right? Gazan, Johnson, Stefan. Um, I'm uh, sure. No, I'm furious not- that Ethan Horvath is. No, yes, I'm fine with it. <laughs> almost Real Madrid conqueror, Ethan Horvath. Or at yes. least he watched from the bench as Mignolet almost conquered Real Madrid. Um, <laughs> a lot of almost in there. <laughs> so, defenders. Mm-hmm. Um, eight defenders named on this 26 man roster Reggie Cannon, Nick Lima, Aaron Long, Daniel Lovitz, Matt Miazga is back after mm-hmm. injury. Tim Ream, who I have a newfound appreciation for. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin, who has played all of, I think, 16 minutes for Newcastle, coming back yep. from injury. And Walker Zimmerman. Mm-hmm. Those are your defenders. That's a lot of right backs. Yedlin, <laughs> yeah. Cannon, Lima. It's almost as if we're compensating for the absence of Serginho Dest. It, it does feel that way. And, and it does make me feel like maybe we... Berhalter kind of declined to discuss Serginho Dest. He said they've had conversations. He prefers to leave them in private. Uh, I was... When I tweeted that out, I was surprised that most of the reactions were pretty restrained. Of like, yeah, that's what he should do. It's private conversations. A decision hasn't yet been made. Um, I still think that maybe we have an indicator that Serginho Dest is likely going to play for the, for the Netherlands. I'm not trying to be like sky is falling situation here, but uh, there were the tweets coming out that like he had met with them, that he had been swayed by the idea that he's like more marketable and worth more money if he's playing for the Dutch national team. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Roger Roger Gonzalez thank you. of yeah. CBS Sports mm-hmm. is a journalist. I I respect and he says that a well a source well placed um says that Ajax have essentially made a convincing case to Dest that he's more valuable and he'll kind of have a better career if he's a Dutch national team player than if he's a US national team player. Mm-hmm. So and I- at, at the very least we can read into Dest not being on this roster that Dest is not all in on the US, right? Mm-hmm. It means at the very least he's asked for more time to think about it. Because if he was 100% all in, yeah, let me at it. I want to play for the US. He'd be on this roster. He'd be about to get captured against Cuba. Yeah, and, and that he isn't, to me, speaks volumes. It at least says he is still very much undecided and needs more time. Uh, but but that he had already played for the United that's States. That's the best case scenario. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it does seem like, especially given the way those last friendlies went for Dest and for the national team, combined with maybe the pressure we're hearing is exerted from Ajax and the Dutch FA, Ronald Koeman saying he wants a decision. I wasn't surprised Dest wasn't included, but I was simultaneously like, I'm not surprised, but I am also disappointed at the exact same moment. Yeah, I, I actually I'm not sure how Pablo Mara knew, but he he tweeted that out earlier, mm. like, you know, a couple of hours before the roster was released. So I, I was at least prepared for it when the roster came, but mm. it's still kind of a crushing blow. And it, and it does make me think, though, to your original point that that's why we have DeAndre Yedlin back, a player who, as you said, has only played 16 minutes. And that was in a five nil destruction by Leicester. Luckily, only yeah. one goal happened when he was on the field. But still, for him to be in in here with two other right backs that we have seen play right back for the United States, I I do think shows us that, like, yeah, look, we've got other options, though. DeAndre Edlin's still around. We could put him in there. Who needs Serginho Dest? We've got DeAndre. (laughs) 
I guess what this also says to me is we're probably going to see the US player back four with maybe Tim Ream at left back. Yeah. Because I don't see Daniel Lovitz as a starter. Um, Nick Lima obviously plays left back for San Jose, but he's really a right back. And do you remember a while back, someone asked, someone asked Bejo to the question, do you see Nick Lima possibly playing left back? And he was, he said, no, I've not really, not really thought of him that way. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a real sort of weird situation developed at left back here. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's worth noting that, uh, as we said earlier, there's 26 on the roster. So it may well be that Yedlin is one of those players who's called in. And then the sort of numbers make more sense because you've got two right backs. Then you've got two possible left backs with like an, another like left center back thrown in there. One of those left yeah. backs can play right back. So you've got a lot more coverage. So if Yedlin isn't involved in either of these games, then I think some of the selections do start to make a bit more sense. That said, I think you're absolutely right that it's probably Tim Ream, at least for one of the games, starting at left back slash left center back. And then my guess would be like Matt Miazga and Aaron Long as the other two in there. Worth noting as well, yeah, you just made me realize Yedlin just being back from injury, it may be that Berhalter just wants him to right. be in, a, in and around the squad and in and around training. And like Maybe he's not ready to play full games against Cuba and Canada, but he's ju- just get him involved, basically. What One thing with that in mind that I will be very curious to see what happens is we saw a number of players sent home between the Mexico and the Uruguay friendlies. These are obviously competitive matches, Nations League matches. So yeah. do we see some roster turnover? Do we see maybe three players sent home and the other three who weren't in the first game called in and that's why 26 are there? Or do we think we have everybody here for both games? Just a thing to keep an eye on because I'm hoping everybody is there for both uh, and I'm very much hoping we don't see like Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney sent home before the Canada away fixture. Yeah, I mean, I can't see Pulisic and McKinney or any high profile players being sent home, not least because there are points on the line, right? Mm. And Canada's the tougher, the much tougher game with all yeah. due respect to Cuba. It would be crazy if we sent high profile players home in between. But I could see like if Corey Baird isn't involved or only gets five minutes or whatever against Cuba and he's not going to be involved against Canada and Rail Salt Lake wants him back, I could see some of the fringe players who don't make the 23, there's no point in them hanging around, yeah. right? For right. the Canada game. So that, as long as it's not a high-profile player, I'm okay with it. <laughs> okay, as long as it's that. Um, we should probably continue to talk about the rest of the roster, breaking down midfield and the attack. Yeah. But first, should we talk about today's sponsor, or do you want to hold off on that for now? Okay, no, I want to talk today's sponsor, but I also want to mention just one more absence before sure. we do. Uh, John Brooks. Yes. Um, absent, still injured, had that sort of groin pull um, just before the Mexico game in September, hasn't played for Wolfsburg since. So if you're wondering where John Brooks is, he is unfortunately still injured. Yes. Uh, John still injured Brooks. Is that officially <laughs> his nickname? Bring, I thought I'd bring it down before the ad. Bring everybody <laughs> I, I down. So then, that. so then the ad puts people in a better mood. At least it's yeah. not more bad news. It's uh, actually good news because yeah. today's sponsor is... HelloFresh. It is Always good news with HelloFresh. America's number one meal kit delivery service. Uh, you can get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. And I'm going to say I really appreciate that because right now, Daryl, I know you are loath to discuss the weather uh, in podcast form, but I'm going to do it anyway because <laughs> Richmond is still in the middle of second or third summer. I forget what we're on right now, but it's like 94 degrees outside, which means I don't want to go outside. I want to be inside as much as possible, which is why I'm happy we do the show that we do and why I'm happy that HelloFresh exists so they can just send me my groceries to my door even opening my door is a little bit too much but i'll make that sacrifice even though it's only like three (laughs) seconds long i said taylor i'm in boston Uh what's happened have you turned into a hermit just because i left town yeah pretty much 
you're suffering from agoraphobia, I believe. I mean, I'm in the office, so at least I went outside. Oh, okay. I just immediately okay, went back did. inside. No, it's basically, as I said, I took the dogs out for a walk, and it was just like, oh, it's 9 a.m. or 9.30. It can't possibly, oh, no, I'm, I'm already sweating, and the, uh, the earth <laughs> is melting. It's great. No, 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 it's fine. <laughs> well, good. Good news is HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals mm-hmm. at home, where Taylor likes to be, a reality regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You do not need to be a Gordon Ramsay, and you don't need Gordon Ramsay yelling at you. You just follow the step-by-step instructions on the recipe card. You have the pre-measured ingredients, so you absolutely can't go wrong. I'd even say if you do go wrong, you probably deserve Gordon Ramsay yelling at you because this is impossible to mess up. Is it weird that I want that to be a feature? Like I want there to be some sort of weird pre-programmed thing where like I mean, there can be another person sitting with you in the kitchen. digital Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. And if you do something wrong, they play a mean comment. And if you do something right, they play a nice comment. And it <laughs> kind of keeps you focused and on track knowing that you're going to be berated by Gordon Ramsay, even if he's not there. I hope the folks at HelloFresh hear this ad because that is a billion dollar idea. Uh, you're welcome, and I want my credit. <laughs> I'll also say that even though uh, the earth may be melting, your HelloFresh products will not because they're shipped to you in like the sealed box, the refrigerated box. It's got the nice big like block of ice, but everything is biodegradable and recyclable, which is a very nice feature, but it keeps yep. everything cold for a couple days. I, I think we've both had that experience of, oh, it's arriving today, and I'm not going to be home until tomorrow. I hope it works out, and it does. <laughs> Here's the great thing as well. There's something for everyone with HelloFresh. Mm-hmm. There are family recipes, calorie smart reference, uh, recipes, vegetarian recipes, and fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Craft Burgers. Here's the exciting part. You can also you can change your food preferences. I have recently done just that. Yes, I, yeah, I was um, going to ask. I am loosening loosening up the rules on my vegetarianism, mostly because of my recent. Uh, surgery and the ostomy. I have a lot of dietary restrictions. I've had to open it up to meat again. And I tell you what, it has been a flavorful experience <laughs> opening things up to meet again. So I put in my new HelloFresh order. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be getting meat delivered. So it's a whole new set of recipes oh, wow. for me. I am really excited. I do. I'm I'm very happy to hear that uh, because number one, I remember you telling me that like when you're on the clear broth diet, that vegetable broth, like it's not as though chicken or beef broth is particularly flavorful, but compared to vegetable broth, it's like next level food. Yes. So then I imagine that uh, the meat options provided by HelloFresh are even that much higher up in the rankings than uh than beef broth and then certainly since <laughs> vegetable broth you can also change your delivery days and right. you can skip a week if suddenly you know you're out of town and you don't you don't think you'll need a hello fresh box uh that week that so works. yeah lots of flexibility with HelloFresh, and you can get 80 dollars off your first month uh go to hellofresh.com slash tss80 that's tss the number eight the number zero and enter the code tss80 uh one more time for 80 dollars off your first month of HelloFresh. go to hellofresh.com slash tss80 and enter the code tss80 at checkout there you go. Thank you to HelloFresh mm. for sponsoring today's episode. And I will say the roster of food they put together um, is much more exciting than this current U.S. roster. That is true. They do. They should have like a spicy like D- Dutch combo in there for us to feel a little bit better <laughs> about Serginho Dest. But until they do. The dual national special. Yeah, uh, that should the be a thing. Dual that, national victory special box. Dual national fusion recipe. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> uh, we should talk midfielders. Uh, eight midfielders yeah, on this roster, starting with Brendan Aronson. I know Daryl, you know tons about Brendan Aronson. You were really excited to see him in there. You've got lots Actually, to say. I've seen a lot of highlights mm-hmm. to Brendan Aronson, 18-year-old playing for the Philadelphia Union. And I've been really, really impressed. Ever since he was like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old uh, playing first-team football for Philly in Major League Soccer, I think he's got a nice little dribble and he's got a wonderful eye for a pass. So mm-hmm. I am actually – this is probably the – 
for all the disappointments of no Serginho Dest, and you're not about to say Dwayne Holmes' name when you read the rest of the midfielders. I am not. More on that later. Brendan Aronson's, Brendan Aronson's inclusion is um, a bright spot for me. This is a thing that has me excited. All right. So we've got Brendan Aronson in there. Uh, I will not disagree with anything you said, but I will add we've got Michael Bradley, Sebastian Legette, Weston McKenney, Christian Pulisic, Christian Roldan, Will Trapp, and Jackson Ewell. That's your eight midfielders in this roster. Okay. So let's, can we talk absences first? Sure. Dwayne Holmes. Yep. We did our Americans Abroad special, and we both got a good look at Dwayne Holmes playing for Derby County because he was the one player that we – because we accidentally forgot him. We both shared the research duties, right? So we Mm. both watched a a lot of him. He's doing really well for Derby County. His injury is in the past. He's played at least three, four, five games, Mm. right, in the championship. He's looking really influential. He had an assist this past weekend in Derby's 3-2 win over Birmingham City. I see him as a sort of Western McKenney backup um, who's right. almost as good, if not better, than Weston McKenney. Um, I am absolutely shocked that he's not included on this roster. Uh, you will get no argument from me. Uh, it is worth noting prior to this conversation, I had uh, a, a conversation with Matt Doyle about uh, the final day of the MLS regular season, but also about this roster and got Doyle's thoughts uh, thereupon, thereon. Um, I was frustrated, as you were with Dwayne Holmes not being there, because I also saw him as more of a number eight. Uh, I won't spoil too much other than to say that Matt, I think, kind of agreed with Burhalter's reasoning that maybe there's more of a number 10 in for Dwayne Holmes is like that's what he's seeing him as and since we already have Legette and maybe Polisic, that kind of was surplus to requirements so that's the maybe possible explanation for why he's not there but I agree with you that he seemed to make sense to me as the number eight and I've gotten a lot of flack from Seattle fans for my thoughts about Christian Roldan and like I don't think I'm to the point where I'm biased they would disagree but that's where I feel but like I would have liked to see Dwayne Holmes given that opportunity to see if he can bring something else to the table because maybe he can't and then we have that answer and then it makes more sense to keep including Christian Roldan but to not give Dwayne Holmes that opportunity when we both enjoyed everything we saw and it seemed like he was a positive provider for that for the uh, squad in the past it, it definitely has me scratching my head a little bit. Yeah, especially because it was someone who was going to be included in the Gold Cup roster and only wasn't because mm-hmm. of an injury. And so it's almost like he's fallen down the pecking order without having done anything wrong, right? I mean, yes, except that I think he was only going to be included in the Gold Cup roster because Sebastian Legette was not, and then Dwayne Holmes oh. got that injury. So it was sort of a double scratch. Uh, so, this re- so this really is a thing of maybe Berhalter just seeing yeah. Holmes as a number 10 and not as a number 8. Yeah, which I, I think so. Think, I think is a talent evaluation mistake because I know Holmes does play as like an attacking midfielder in a four-two-three-one for Derby, but he also plays sometimes as one of the two holding midfielders. He yeah. plays on the right wing as well. He's a very versatile central midfielder, he's right? A fire so he absolutely—that's what I'm calling him. He's a fire putter outer and a fire starter. <laughs> <laughs> so he absolutely could do what Christian Roldan does only better for yeah. the U.S. men's national team. Did you catch? Um, I think it was Ivers Glasip um, asked about Dwayne Holmes' absence. Yeah. And Berhalter's answer was essentially that uh, we're more comfortable with uh, who we've got right now. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking about the group, the group, the group, right? Mm-hmm. The group is Roldan's in the group, Leggett's in the group, the click is closed, we don't need any new friends. Yeah, uh, he said, I think the like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, approx- like the approximate quote, as best I can give it, was Dwayne is on our radar, we've been watching him, we felt with the options we have at attack midfielder, we're more comfortable at this stage with those other options. Ivis did also ask about Anthony Robinson uh, as a potential left-back option who was not called in. And can I just say that, like, maybe I'm overanalyzing, and I, I really, I'm okay with Greg Berhalter still, it's not as though I'm like completely out on him, but it does bother me that he insists on calling him Anthony Robinson 
something. And <laughs> that just to me, like, it's not a big deal, but it just feels Greg like out. A, Greg but, out. But like, if if Burhalter did that, if Bradley had done that, Bob Bradley, if if Jurgen Klinsmann did that, we would probably make fun of them. We would say like, oh my gosh, look how out of touch they are. So it was just a moment of like, dude, his name is Anthony. Maybe you know something that I don't. Maybe he actually likes to go by Anthony, and I'm just in the wrong. But that just stood out to, to me in a weird way that when discussing a player who's on your radar, you got his name wrong. I mean, isn't it? There's there's not actually an H in there, right? It's no. A N T O N E E Robinson. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and then other other midfield absences that we should maybe just touch on briefly uh, would be Tyler Adams, who's obviously recovering from injury, but still not at the he's point where he can doing keepy uppies for Red Bull social media, exactly. but he's not ready to play yet. Not quite. One who we <laughs> think maybe could have been ready to play, but I'm going to assume falls into that is a number ten, and we already have options there. Is Paxton Pomacall, who is also yeah. not included in the squad. Uh, that turned a lot of heads, got a lot of eyebrows raised, but I'm guessing that's the explanation for that. Well, I think actually we might be seeing the beginning of a trend here where we're thinking about U23 and Olympic qualifying, right? Ah, good call, good and call. Paxton Pomacal and Miles Robinson, who we didn't talk about, but he wasn't selected this time, a defender who was selected in September. They will, I don't think we've seen the U23 roster released, um, but I think there will be one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what Greg Berhalter is doing is taking some of the standout U23s and giving them a taste of the senior men's national team. Yeah. So he did it with Robinson and Pomacal, um, uh, Miles Robinson and Paxton Pomacal in September. He's doing it with uh, Brendan Aronson, who, as I understand it, was a real standout at the, the September U23 camp. He's doing it with Brendan Aronson uh, this time around. Um, and I really think that those guys will still end up playing for the U23s because we want to have a strong squad. We want to qualify finally for the Olympics. And I think it's about really just giving those players more experience, strengthening them, and almost trying to make in a way trying to make that U23 roster as experienced and and talented as possible just by giving these guys that extra little taste of uh, the rest of the team. So yeah. I think this may be a thing we'll keep seeing. Yeah, and I, and I think I'm okay with that. Experience is a good thing at any level. Um, I do also think that we will see some of the more notable names that weren't included on this roster included on that U23 uh, squad when it comes out. I think Richie Ledesma would be one of those, probably Alex Mendez as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. Oh, and just uh, referring again to the Berhalter press conference, I got the impression because a couple of people asked about Ledesma and Mendez. Maybe mm-hmm. is it worth giving them a call up, even from a dual national Capham perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, he did refer to yes, did. them as not playing first team football. Mm-hmm. And I've often wondered this. Like if you're playing for Young Ajax or Young PSV, respectively, um, you are playing in the second tier of Dutch football, right? It's mm-hmm. not a reserve league like Premier League 2. It's actual – you're playing against other first teams, right? Um, but I think it seems to me that Belter sees these – he sees this not as first team football. He sees this as reserve team football because he talked about only calling them up after they've sort of made the progress that Serginho Dest has made mm-hmm. um, and they're playing for their first teams. I actually think that was an interesting – distinction that he drew because i've always wondered whether he considered young Ajax first team football or not seems like the answer is no i'm glad you brought that up uh because i'm glad you found that interesting but there was another part of what he said I'm in there glad that you I, found that interesting. well because there's another part of it that <laughs> i thought was interesting no, no no sincerely there was like that there was two parts to that statement that you're alluding to and there's that one part which uh, like like you were drawn to and me being a bit more maybe conspiratorial or just like having theories i was drawn to was when he, it was it came up when he was asked about these youngsters 
years, but I think also within the context of like, I think he got two redirects about Serginho Dest and he sort of yeah. dodged them both times. But he did say like people were very like interested in these young players and what's going to happen. I understand that when you talk about some of these practices, I'm assuming he means calling up young players. Um, the players are also aware. And in Holland, there has been a backlash. And right there, I was like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Like I, that has to be the part of his pitch to Sergio Dest was look they've done this before they call up youngsters who are dual nationals they cap tie them to get them in there oh, and then you kind yeah. of like don't know what your fate's going to be from then on whereas we're promising you a first team spot right now we're promising you first team looks so you should come with us and that did feel a little bit like you didn't really need to take a shot at the Dutch FA and the only reason <laughs> I could see you doing that is because you're still sort of trying to recruit Sergio Dest. So it does feel like maybe we've lost him and that was like a, a kind of a Hail Mary argument that yeah. the Helter makes at him, right? It's possible. Yeah. It's definitely possible. Um, all right, a couple more things on midfielders sure. I want to talk about, if you don't mind, Taylor. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see Sebastian Leggett. Yeah. Like, I'm, I, we could argue about whether it sh- if it has to be Leggett or Holmes, which one it should be. Leggett is one of the midfielders that has shown the sort of bravery to pretty. turn under pressure and like pick out passes like the uh, – the, the penalty that the U.S. won, remember the uh, Jordan Morris penalty uh, that Josh Sargent missed, was that cl- that sort of clever, legit, aggressive pass. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see legit in there. I, I feel like you're still not talking about how beautiful of a human he is, and I need you to mention how beautiful of a human he is. He is also very handsome with some well-sculpted facial hair. Okay, thank you. Now we can talk about him because, yes, <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. Uh, and, I, and I still am in that boat. I think uh, Doyle and I talked about this the last time he was on the show, not this most recent one. But the idea of Legette as a 10 and Pulisic as a wide attacker, I really like that idea, not just because I think it puts them in very strong positions that they're both familiar with, but because you can then have that interchange and Legette can go wide and Pulisic can come central rather than start in those spots. And that, that to me makes a lot of sense. And having Legette in there and involved in that number 10 conversation also makes a lot of sense so i too was pretty pumped to see him in here then what do you make of the fact that for the you know that number six mm-hmm. tempo setting register type role that is, is on every bear halter team we have michael bradley who would i assume i assume is the first choice um we have will trap who's been sort of a constant um a bit like penny was for desmond and lost mm-hmm. um and we've got jackson yule who's playing the same position i think jackson Yule actually did quite well against uruguay showed some really nice passes when he had that position but that's essentially three guys for yeah. one spot on a 26-man roster right they can't all be on the 23 when we play cuba and canada no they they can't and like i i don't know this with any level of confidence but if we're going to go with we want to win these two games they're both competitive uh berhalter talked about that my assumption is that it will be michael bradley starting both of these games uh with maybe will trap like on the bench for one if not both yule is maybe one of those players that he talked a bit about about wanting to get them in there to see how they respond to see how they continue to develop and kind of blend in with the team obviously he was there for the last friendlies and looked good against uruguay uh but that was as we've talked about it kind of a reserve uruguay team missing some of their key players so maybe we'll get to see some of jackson yule here but i also wouldn't be surprised if he's one of those players who's called in just to see how he does within the camp could you could you see bradley starting both games trap on the bench for yes. one game and Yule on the bench for the other? I could. I could also see Bradley yeah. starts one game, Trap is on the bench, Trap starts the next game, Yule's on the bench. That makes less sense we, to me if we're really treating we don't these see as competitive Yule games. Uh, I mean, I, I would like that because I really liked what I saw from Yule against Uruguay. Uh, and and it really isn't that I don't like Will Trap. It's just that I have seen enough from Will Trap. I have yeah. not seen enough from Jackson Yule. 
I would argue yours are much more adventurous passer mm-hmm. than Will Trapp. Yes. Like he's more likely to like really try something that, that Trapp might not even see. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think, think for that so. reason, I would prefer to see him involved than Will Trapp. Okay. Uh, yeah, you'll get no arguments mm-hmm. from me. Uh, rounding on the midfield, uh, we should mention Weston McKinney is in there. We talked about him already. We assume he's going to be yes. doing the Weston McKinney number eight role. Uh, yes. And then we've got Always Christian excited Bullis. to see that. Yeah, Christian Bullis listed as a number 10. Christian Roldan uh, also in there, uh, likely as the deputy for Weston McKinney. <sighs> okay. Um, before we move on to forwards, before we move on to forwards, yeah. what do you think of the idea that Bauter in the press conference, the teleconference, mm-hmm. made kind of a big deal about Canada being this group's first away game and that being a challenge. I mean, I've been to Canada and I did not have any trouble with cultural adjustments, for example. Two of the players on this team play their home games in Canada. Yeah, it's an (laughs) MLS stadium, right? Yeah, exactly. Greenfield's an MLS stadium. I'm not really buying the idea that this is some big challenge to go away to Canada. No, and and like, and I think this is where some of my frustration. It's not even Quebec, right? It's English speaking. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're, not, we're like, we're not even like going to Newfoundland or something, which would be a little <laughs> bit difficult. Um, I like this is where my frustration with Greg Berhalter kind of like elevates a little bit is just some of the stuff he says it feels like these kind of throwaway lines that are meant to address potential concerns so like we had a listener and friend alex rendon ask about like what can you ask Berhalter like what he expects to learn from this core group that he hasn't already learned or didn't see in the gold cup and it did seem like he was kind of preempting that by saying well you know this is our first competitive away game and we want to see how they respond to that and then he kind of went, moved on to questions. And to me, like that, it's one of those things that like, yeah, okay, it's a way that makes sense. It's a competitive game. That makes sense. And then you spend more than five seconds thinking about it. And to your point, it's like, but wait, some of these dudes play at home. It's a stadium they've all played in because it's an MLS stadium. It's Canada. It's not like we're going yeah. there and it's going to be, I don't, I genuinely don't mean this to be disrespectful, but we're not going to some like incredibly intimidating packed atmosphere. It's going to be Canada. Yeah. It's going to be, you know, they're going to be up for it, but they're also going to be polite and friendly. They're our neighbors. It's not a way to Honduras. You can see no, exactly. almost see Niagara Falls from where you are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the Buffalo Bills play ha- like at one point we're playing like half of their home games in Toronto. <laughs> like it's not it's not some faraway land that no one knows how to operate within. Maybe he has some big challenge plan for them that we don't know about. Maybe they're going to have to like um, mush huskies um, across <laughs> across the tundra. I was going to say ride a barrel <laughs> over the falls because I'm pretty sure it's still pretty warm up in uh, northern New York as well. <laughs> You ready to talk forwards? Let's do it. All right. Josmer Volmi Althador is on the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Ariola yep. as a winger. I'm always happy, personally, I'm always happy to see Paul Ariola. I think he brings a lot to the national team. Uh, Corey Baird, who I know you talked about with uh, Matt Doyle. I did. Uh, Tyler Boyd, who we talked about recently, not doing well for Beshik Tash, no. right? Uh, I might get a good look at him on Thursday when Beshik Tash play Wolves. I'm hoping for a, a good Boyd performance, uh, but he's on the losing side. Um, <laughs> Jordan Morris, who is in red hot form. Yeah. So I would like to see Jordan Morris start, I mm-hmm. think, given the, the form that he's in. Start over Tyler Boyd. Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent, I'm excited about, and I'm sure you are too. And Giassi Zardes maintains his spot on the roster. He does. Um, so once again, as with the Bradley Trap Yule thing, we have Altador, Sargent, Zardes, three players for what really is two positions, right? Striker and striker on the bench. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if we go again with past this precedent, what Berhalter has previously done, it seems like we'll get Josie Altador for one of these games. And to be honest, it seems like we'll get Giassi Zardes for another one of these games. Ooh, I don't like the future you're predicting. 
But do you disagree with it? Because doesn't I, that seem like I a don't possibility? Disagree with it. it does seem like a possibility. The optimistic part of me thinks maybe Josh Sargent starts against Cuba because mm-hmm. it's a game that we're almost certainly going to win. And that would be a good sort of like proper international game to put the pressure on Josh Sargent and say, hey, we've got to score some goals. You're going to be the starting striker. Go out there and do it. So this is uh, potentially an unfair question. That's a challenge. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah, flip that around for a minute, though. And like, how would you feel about it, it being Jesse Zardes against Cuba for that exact reason? Of like, it's a team that we're probably going to beat. You're probably going to get a lot of chances. Maybe you score a goal or two. Maybe you get sort of the, like, some of the criticism off your back and uh, it, it gets Jesse Zardes rolling. Can you see that logic? I can see that logic. It's not the logic I would like to employ. <laughs> and I could also, but I could also see the challenge to Sergeant not just being get yourself a goal, but being sort of, you know, play the striker role in my system where you yeah. come deep and lay the ball off and uh, you sort of, you know, connect a lot of the play and help us unbalance the opposition with possession. You know what I'm saying? I think there is, a, um, even though Cuba's very beatable, um, all due respect to Alexis Guerreros, uh, I think there's still a challenge you can lay down to Sergeant for the role you perform within a team for that game. All right. All right. Okay. I can take that. I yeah. also am sort of shocked looking at some of the like the caps numbers. I forget how many times Sebastian Legette has been dealing with serious injuries because he only has 11 caps. Josh Sargent, yeah. by comparison, has nine. So uh, yeah. a, a slight a insight. There's caps in there, though, right? Yeah. I think they should only count for half. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, I, I think so. I'm excited to see Josie Altador back, like with the first team, and I think he will probably have an impact both as a leader and on the field. I'm excited to see more than a lot of other players in this roster. Paul Ariola. That's another player that I think we yes. really did miss against Mexico and Uruguay because even if he's not going to be this like this game changing wide attacker, I do think he brings a lot of fight and a decent amount of technical ability that come together to really be a useful asset for Greg Berhalter and the national team. So Ariola is one that I'm excited to see in there. And I am surprised to say Jordan Morris, as you alluded to with his hot streak, is another one that I'm excited to see play and start for this U.S. national team because he uh, looked very good in the the last uh, international break. I thought he was one of the few who came out of those games with like like being able to hold his head high and worked very hard and never gave up and kind of... Being able to hold his left foot high. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He played some crosses in, had some shots with the left foot, mixed it up, took people on, uh, but then made smart passes. And it it seemed like overall he was the player coming out of that camp that I thought like, yeah, I think I said this in the, at the time, like he kind of embodies what we've come to expect from U.S. or from U.S. players, which is a lot of hard work, a lot of effort. And that's really what I wanted from Jordan Morris. And that's what I got. And he backed it up with some decent play. And have you seen his two? I, I didn't see the full games. I just saw highlights. Mm. But his two recent contributions yep. for Seattle. Um, I can't remember who the opposition was for these two games. But there's one where he absolutely bursts in behind onto, I think, a bad pass. Yep. Beats the, just uses his pace to get there first and score. And there's another where he puts in this sort of weird diving header, um, very far post redirect to get himself an assist. It's mm. a really impressive sort of full stretch it was almost Klinsman-esque diving header uh back across goal for um I'm not sure who scored I'm not sure who scored for Seattle but it made me think all right Jordan Morris you can start for the U.S. men's national team if it's on my watch all right the one the one that I think I saw most recently was I think he scored the winner against San Jose and that was one uh that made me feel a little bit better because he's an own goal and he calmly finishes and yeah that's the thing we haven't so much seen from a lot of U.S. attackers is the calm finishing when they need to be calm in front of goal so to see him do that it made me feel like okay I can stick with Jordan Morris doing things, especially doing things very late <laughs> when no one else seems capable of doing them. 
So any other any other final big thoughts on this roster? Yeah, uh, for people who didn't hear our uh, kind of like players abroad conversation where we looked at some of the players and what they need to do, it is worth noting like the reason why I think neither one of us has really mentioned Tyler Boyd very much is because uh, I watched a lot of his footage. He was one of the players that I was sort of reviewing. And it just seems like there is so much work that he still needs to do combined with his lack of form and recently lack of opportunities at Besiktas that uh, while I guess I understand why he's here, I also would have understood if he would have understood if he weren't called in because it seems like he has yeah. so much work to do at Beshtash. So that's one who's gone from sort of like, yeah, he's in there and I want to see him start and see what he does to sort of like, yeah, yeah, maybe Jordan Morris is the way I want to go this time around. Yep. But I think I think what we can see here is an out-of-form Tyler Boyd, and he mm. is out-of-form for Besiktas, right? Yeah. Um, and out-of-form for the U.S. based on his two performances against his performance yep. against Mexico and against Uruguay. Tyler Boyd is part of, quote-unquote, the group. The group indeed. Right? He's in the click. He's in the click. And Which so it'll be tough for him to fall out of it. But that's weird, right? Because we thought for a moment yep. that like he had fallen out and that's why Jordan Morris had replaced him and that like maybe yeah. he was on the outs looking in and now he's part of the group. So I, at least he has that. Yep. If they ever make a horror movie of the Bear era, if it goes horribly wrong, the it'll group. be called The Group. Yeah. He's, it's written he's, in an ominous, <laughs> ominous font. He's the mind flayer to go back to Stranger <laughs> Things. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. You got to close the gateway and then they'll all start thinking for themselves. <laughs> I haven't seen Stranger Things, but I'm laughing anyway. Okay, that, that works. Well, then <laughs> right, semi-spoilers so, for Stranger Things. <laughs> so there's your 26 players. Mm-hmm. Um, again, only 23 will be named to the matchday roster. It's Cuba, Friday, October the 11th, and then Canada the following week, all the way up in scary, scary Canada. I am genuinely <laughs> shocked, first of all, that you correctly categorized it as Scary Scary Canada because obviously it's terrifying <laughs> and frightening. Uh, but I'm genuinely shocked that you have not seen Stranger Things yet. That seems like a thing that you would have watched all the way through twice already. All right. Controversial opinion. Uh-huh. I watched one episode. Yeah. I felt they were just laying on the 80s stuff <laughs> way, fair. way too thick. Wait, and it's, I just... it's references to the 80s? I had no yeah, idea. And it, it was just a little too heavy for me and felt too artificially 80s Uh it was almost like i don't know if like you fed steven spielberg 80s-ness into (laughs) a computer and asked it to write a script it's it's like if if, if the member berries uh wrote a script basically yes if the member berries wrote a script about the 80s yeah (laughs) Uh, and i'm I'm happy that lots of people enjoyed it Mm -hmm. but there's just there's a lot of good tv out there and i i'm at the stage now where i give things an episode Mm -hmm. and if i'm not like all right there's something special here then i'm i'm not in right so succession i'm in uh, the I forgot the name of it. The Righteous Gemstones. I'm all in because just something incredible happened in both of those first episodes that made me think, "All right, this is for me." All right. Well, I think that answer was high sl- bar. Theater. High <laughs> bar. I think that answer was slicker than something on a dolphin's back, and I'll leave it at that. I also love <laughs> Succession. <laughs> have you seen the most recent episode? Yes, I have. Oh, all that the um, the the part where the guy from Azerbaijan explains his plan. Uh, for yeah. either hearts or hibs and getting in the European Super League. Yeah. And Roman just says, I don't know what you're talking about, but all that sounds great. It's so good. It's so good. And also really upsetting because it was, we have often had that question about like, what are Man City doing and why are they doing it? And why are like, why does PSG have so much money? And what's the sort of point of all this? And I yeah. just always assumed it was like, oh, they want like, you know, the cultural connections and cultural cachet. They want to be able to like run these sports organizations to develop their own. And that dude in like three seconds being like, and then I flip it and sell it at a profit. And I was like, oh, I see what's going to happen. <laughs> now I see. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Also, line of the week on Succession mm-hmm. is... uh 
<laughs> Logan Roy, Brian Cox saying, oh, you're right. Maybe I don't remember which team I've supported my entire swear work. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I am gonna save the rest of this conversation for off air because I was gonna bring that up too, but I don't want to give anything too much away. But that was <laughs> genuinely one of my favorite moments of that show for a variety of reasons. <laughs> While we're talking HBO, yeah. Any chance you've seen the Diego Maradona documentary? I have not yet. The only thing I've heard about it is all positive things from a number of different people who have seen it yet. I watched it last night, and it is incredible. It's a lot of. Um, like footage from the 80s of Maradona mm. playing for Napoli. Uh, there's no, uh, I think, I, I knew this going in. I'd read this somewhere. I heard this somewhere. There's no talking heads. And right. there's a lot of like. You heard they, that from Pablo Mara on our show. There we go. Yes. Oh, I listened to the Total Zach show. That would be um, And to give you a good preview, the essential theme of it is that there's Diego, who's like the insecure kid mm-hmm. uh, from Buenos Aires. And there's Maradona, who's almost like this character that Diego Maradona created to be able to handle all the stress and all the pressure. And it's it's Maradona that, you know, can like score those incredible goals and win the league for Napoli. But it's also Maradona who takes a bunch of cocaine. Oh, that's an interesting way to you know see what I mean. It. And right. Diego, kind, Diego kind of gets lost the more that Maradona takes over. Even if you look at the logo for the for the documentary it's a uh, diego in one font and then a dividing line and then maradona in a different font so it's really like a documentary with a theme that it really commits itself to and uh, really delivers on plus right. loads of great footage of maradona dribbling past people all right well i look forward to watching that i also look forward to people listening to me talk to mr matthew doyle which we'll get to in a moment but before we get to all that we should mention that today's show is also brought to you in part by our friends over at roughneck scarves daryl roughneckscarves.com r-u-f-f-n-e-c-k scarves.com Official scarf providers mm-hmm. to, among other places, yep. Major League Soccer that is correct. and U.S. Soccer. I've also, also noticed they've added NHL to the list. Oh, I didn't um, notice that. Of leagues that they are official scarf providers for. That makes maybe a lot not, of sense. Maybe not relevant to our show, but I think that's a, an interesting addition. I mean, it's cold in there. <laughs> you maybe want to wrap <laughs> up with the scarf. That one makes a lot of sense. It's cold enough for ice to form, I guess, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how it happens. <laughs> it just naturally forms, and then they play hockey on it. <laughs> and I guess the most important thing to <laughs> most important thing uh, to our show here is that they have a U.S. men's national mm-hmm. team scarf section at roughneckscarves.com. Yeah. So you get all kinds of variations on the U.S. men's national team theme. You've got established 1776 mm-hmm. is a good scarf. Um, I'm looking at. I'm over it now. I'm over 1776. Oh yeah. Uh, so feeling feeling pretty good about How it. How do you feel about 1812? Um, um, I feel like we had a good go. Okay. We had a good go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're uh, 0-1-1 against the United States, I think. Yeah, 0-1-1. Home of the brave, land of the free, I mm-hmm. think is a, 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 nice, a nice scarf to hold up in the air. Um, and there's also the classic design with the snake chopped up into bits. Yeah, the, the snake chopped up into bits. Yeah, and then they obviously have the uh, the individual scarves for individual members of the U.S. women's national team. And I thought it was yes. interesting that they did the kind of corresponding point for the men's team by just having this scarf that says meh. I thought that was pretty clever. Meh. That's not it. It says desk question, desk yeah, question exactly. mark. It's a scarf I would design. <laughs> and the other one is just a series of hands praying. <laughs> so if you go to uh, roughneckscarves.com, you can, you can really take your pick from U.S. men's and U.S. women's national team scarves. Also, obviously, any MLS scarf you want. If you want to um, wave a scarf to support your team in the playoffs or wave a scarf to commiserate your team 
not making the playoffs if you're, say, FC Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, USL scarves, lots of USL scarves to, uh, to choose from mm-hmm. at roughneckscarves.com. But best of all, if you want 20% off, you don't want to pay full price, you want to pay 20% less, use the discount code Total Soccer Show. All one word, Total Soccer Show gets you 20% off at roughneckscarves.com. So thank you very much to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode, even if it also made uh, Daryl's wife Shannon sneeze in the background. Uh, we very much appreciate their sponsorship and support. Did you, Shannon, did you sneeze? Oh, she, it was a cough. Ah, it was a cough. Okay, sure it was. Look, sure, sure, sure. sure, Taylor, sure. I'm in Boston uh, doing my clinical trial stuff uh-huh. in an Airbnb, and I'm doing my best to recreate studio conditions. <laughs> so is that, me, is that me sneezing then? Is that what you're recreating? Uh, yes. Or my, yes. My phone just going off <laughs> randomly despite me thinking uh, I put it on silent? I'm just saying I've done the very best I can given the circumstances. <laughs> yeah, you've done great. Nothing will ever beat you recording in your uh, in-laws sauna. That's my favorite one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you what as well, where we're staying in Boston, uh-huh. for people who know Boston, we're staying in an apartment that's right in the middle of downtown crossing, which is essentially like a European-style city center shopping center. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of buskers. There was a guy playing saxophone earlier that ah. definitely would have been on the audio had he decided to do it uh, in the hours we recorded. <laughs> so just be lucky you didn't get smooth jazz uh, from my end. You didn't pay him off? I should have. I should have. <laughs> I mean, we've got saxophone in the introductory music. You could have just blended it in perfectly. We would have been fine. Oh, yeah. I should say, hey, can you play this tune? <laughs> <laughs> now, Daryl, how close are you to Harvard Yard? Um, I could park the car there. Okay, thank, thank goodness. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> All right. I think on that note, uh, we have really wrung the comedy out of the, uh, the comedy well. So I am going to say, uh, Daryl, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're very busy. I'm very happy that you're up in Boston uh, resuming treatment, and I hope all that yes. is going well. Yeah, that's, this is a victory. After the recent surgery, mm-hmm. I was worried would knock me off course with the clinical trial. I'm back on course, back on course. Yeah, yeah so very happy about it. And all you had to do was go to Boston, which I know mm-hmm. is kind of painful, but at least you're getting the treatment. <laughs> all right yeah so thanks i'll see you uh, should, friday in studio right i should clarify we'll get, i spent we'll two hours here. i spent two hours yesterday with a patriots fan that's where this animosity towards boston is coming <laughs> from <laughs> uh yes yeah, so you'll be back friday uh we will uh do it be doing at least kickers weekly maybe some other things we'll see uh how the mood strikes us but until then uh, i will turn it over to me talking to matt doyle uh both about this u.s roster and then about the final day of mls regular season as well as a look towards the playoffs and what happens next for a few of the teams that did not make the playoffs with me once again i've got my friend and yours the analyst himself it's mr matt doyle hello matthew Hello, Taylor. How is how is life down in Richmond? Oh, it's good. It's good. Just coming off the uh, Greg Berhalter U.S. Men's National Team Conference call, which has me feeling feelings, and I'm excited to discuss those feelings with you, uh, as well as just kind of mm-hmm. the roster in general, and then a little bit of uh, MLS playoffs, if that works for you. Taylor, tell me about your feelings. <laughs> I will. Uh, I will say this up front. Like, so I was nervously excited about this roster release because I had hoped we'd see some names on there that we didn't end up seeing. I was really excited to see potentially Dwayne Holmes. I had hoped we would see Dwayne, uh, not Dwayne Holmes, uh, Serginio Dest, even though I kind of knew that was a long shot. Um, instead, I felt like we got a lot of the kind of core names that we have already seen, uh, some of which I would rather not be included in that core group, but that's my opinion. Uh, Matt, what about you? You wrote a kind of uh, roster breakdown for MLSsoccer.com. Uh, where are you on this roster and Greg Berhalter? Uh, disappointed about no dust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, it, like, I'm a college basketball fan. I'm a UConn guy and, and we have had 
you know, players that we recruited for two years. And then in the last month of the cycle, Duke shows up or Kentucky shows up and they end up at Kentucky. They end Mm -hmm. up at Duke. Uh, You know, I know that feeling and to see that, you know, translated to the national team in this point with Bess. And I think I'm assuming he is going to choose the Netherlands at this point. Um, It's a bummer because he's a super talented kid with probably 15 good years at a high level in front of him, barring injury. He brings a unique skill set in terms of possession and attack to, you know, both fullback roles. Um, And he, like, he actually turned down the, the Dutch U-17 a couple of years ago to play for the U.S. Like, he's turned down youth national team caps before, um, and, and he was on a pretty clear trajectory, right? Like, he, he was only okay for the U.S. U-17. Then he sort of showed out last year for the U-20s at the uh, CONCACAF Championship. Then he was, you know, very, very good going forward, I thought, uh, at the U-20 World Cup. And then he got his first national team camps and caps a couple of starts last month it was very linear um and and you know now the rug's been pulled out at least a little bit i don't know if it's 100 percent done and dusted but it it stings it stings to not you know to not have him for these games because you know player like that for whatever his defensive shortcomings you you write his name into that lineup in pen um dwayne holmes is is Oh, you know, a little bit different, uh, a lot different. I, I will say for Halter's quote during the, the call you just listened to was he's Dwayne's on our radar and he's progressed nicely back from his injury, but we're more comfortable at this stage with other options at mm-hmm. attacking midfield. And that presumably means, uh, Christian Pulisic, who's listed as a midfielder on this roster, which I disagree with. And Sebastian Lejet. And Sebastian Lejet now has a, a dozen games for the U S national team. And he has played, you know, very well to excellent um, in, in literally all of them. So I, I understand that. The other the other thing with, with Holmes is that, yeah, he, he is just coming back from, uh, from injury. Um, he missed basically all summer. He has played, I think, four games over the past month for Derby County, and he's looked pretty good. Um, and I was, I was hoping to see him in this camp, but at the same time, he has he's twenty or he's about to turn twenty five years old. He has about sixty career uh, games at the championship. He's never played at a higher level than that. Um, and in those sixty games, he has three goals and five assists. Mm-hmm. So he, he like he's made a case to be included over the past eighteen months or so. But it, he does need to be more productive um, if you're going to be a, an attacking midfielder. I. I I hope we see him next month. If he stays healthy, whether he's productive or not, I do hope we see him next month. But this doesn't seem like a, a devastating blow to not have him here. This one, considering he'd probably be uh, third string for this group. That, that makes sense if you're seeing him as an attacking midfielder, which you're correct. That's what Greg Berhalter referred to him as. I guess for me, it seems like he could also function pretty well in that kind of number eight role, the Weston McKinney role. And that was where I would like to see him tried because I do think he brings more to the table than a player like Christian Roldan. Uh, so maybe it is just the case that Berhalter feels like that number eight spot is settled and is looking at other number 10 options and that's where he would be and thus would be third on the depth chart. But that's sort of, that's where my uh, kind of confusion and frustration I think is rooted. I, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that 
you know, Roldan's a nice little player, but I'm, I'm more interested in Holmes for these games. Um, but if we're, we're at the point where we're worried about the backup number eight and maybe the, you know, the 19th man on a 23 man roster, mm-hmm. then it, it's tough to, to quibble too much. I think from my personal point of view, having him, having Pulisic listed as a midfielder rather than as a winger or forward, um, that's a, that's a much bigger concern because Pulisic's not that. Uh, he's had some good games in that role, but he's not like he, he's so much better out wide and in space. And I'm worried that for these games, including against the Canada team that could very well beat the U.S., um, we're not going to see Pulisic in his best role. And that's we're not going to see the U.S. Uh, put out something close to their best 11, given the available players. At what point does that become a concern for you, though, if we keep seeing Pulisic played in positions that seem suboptimal, is the phrasing I'm going to go with? Uh, like, at what point mm-hmm. do you feel like, okay, this isn't working, Berhalter's persisting with it, now I have concerns? March. Okay. Um, he, <laughs> I appreciate keeps, the specificity. Yeah. I mean, if he keeps doing it over this camp uh, and the next one, um, and then I think there's a, a date in February as well. Are they, I don't remember whether there's one in February or one in March or just mm-hmm. one over the course of those two months. But at, at this point in like in March of next year, if Pulisic's still the 10 and we're not seeing uh, Leggett or hopefully Paxton Pomacall or, you know, if, if Richie Ledesma breaks through with PSV, I, I would hope he would immediately slot into the full national team. And Ledesma, by the way, Ledesma is going to be with the U23s. Mm-hmm. I know that roster hasn't come out yet, but he's, he's in camp, um, which is absolutely appropriate given that he's literally, you know, is still playing for the youth team in PSV. Um, but anyway, between the other guys in the, in the pool, it makes so much more sense to put Pulisic out wide. Um, and I hope that over the next six months, that's something that we see full time. Uh, so I mentioned Christian Roldan earlier. Uh, I wanted to ask for you of the more kind of like maligned names on this roster, Zardes, Trap, Baird, Lovitz, and Roldan probably. Uh, who do you think gets the most kind of like unfair attention or who do you think is the most unfairly maligned in that group when it comes to playing for the national team? I actually think Baird has been pretty decent with his movement for the U.S. Um, that said, he shouldn't shouldn't be higher than you know fourth or fifth choice winger. I, I would probably have him lower than that. I think over the next couple of years, as a bunch of the U23s and U20 wingers sort of come into their own, I, I, I expect he'll, he'll drop down. He'll, he'll drop down the pecking order. Like guys like Jossie and Will Trapp, good pros. Um, and they've shown it for the club for a long time, but they've, all, they've also shown that they're just too limited to do it at the national team level. And I'm, I'm hoping that for both guys, they're called in um, for cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, they're both like, if you talk to guys around MLS, talk to guys in the national team program, nobody has a bad word to say about either of them. They go, you know, they, they show up, they work, they execute whatever the coaches coach wants uh, in practice. And, um, that's important for a team whose culture has been broken for a long time. Um, but it, it, like if, if either of them, you know, is starting games or making appearances, uh, you know, as, over the next 12 months and beyond, God forbid, um, I'm going to be upset. 
Uh, and then Lovitz, like Lovitz is, is, I mean, would he even be there if, if Des had accepted the call? I don't know. I, I think, I think like this is a chance for Nick Lima to maybe show, and Nick Lima's been very good at right back for the U.S. This is a chance for him to show that he could play left back, which he, he often, almost always, I should say, does for, uh, for San Jose. So. I do want to get to MLS playoffs. We will eventually. But first, it does sound like you're a little bit more optimistic or confident in what Berhalter is doing than I am. Uh, he was asked about sort of like like how he perceives things or like the kind of negative press he's getting, uh, specifically in regards to kind of development, the team not developing. He pushed back on that pretty aggressively, uh, noting they had like clear objectives for the game against Mexico. They wanted to play out under extreme high pressure, uh, but he felt like they made progress. Same thing against Uruguay. I don't know if I agree with some of what he said, so I'm wondering for you, Matt, like, was there significant progress you saw, or even like, were there signs there that, like, okay, this is working in a way that it wasn't six months ago, or this player seems capable of playing a role that I didn't think they were six months ago? Uh, yeah, I think, there, I think there has been progress, certainly, in, in um, the, the player pool. You know, I've had, I, I went through the list earlier this year, and, you know, Aronson is, I think, the 23rd or 24th U23 player who's been called up just this year by, by Burhalter. And, um, you know, most of those guys have actually gotten caps in addition to camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, say, a, a Pomacall or uh, Miles Robinson, both guys who, you know, made their debuts last month, as they, you know, solidify themselves as, as professionals and as they, uh, solidify themselves at the U23 level. Um, I, I assume they will work into the team full time, as Jackson Ewell appears to have done, for example, or as Josh Sargent appears to have done. Um, so I, I think that progress in the player pool, um, I think that's going to solve a lot of the issues that we've seen over the course of this year in terms of. Uh, executing on, on Burr Halter's ideas, I, I, I really do. Okay. Um, I, I do think that 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 talent has been a, a big issue for the U.S. and like on on the attacking side, like yeah, we saw them settle too easily into playing long balls against Mexico um, in in the Gold Cup final, and then we saw them in this latest friendly uh, try to play through everything to an insane extent, um, and. Then I thought against Uruguay, which was a game played in third gear, they uh, they sort of synthesized the two. When the, when it was there to play over the top, they played over the top. When there was a chance to build, they actually built and created some good chances. And I thought they pretty clearly outplayed, uh, you know, pretty good Uruguay team despite missing a, a bunch of talent. So I I I have seen I, I have seen progress. It maybe hasn't been as fast as as we all want. I would love it if we were winning every game 4-0, but we're just, we're not there yet. All right. Well, th- that, that uh, I think, is a fair appraisal of the situation. Obviously, we've got the two Nations League games coming up. Before that, we've got the final round of uh, MLS regular season, the final games to be played. Uh, so I did also want to kind of get your thoughts on how you think things will shake out. We've got kind of all seven spots locked up in the East, in the West, two still open. Uh, Portland, FC Dallas, San Jose, Colorado, all still eligible. Who do you think, who do you think ends up getting those final two spots? And maybe, like, more importantly, who would you like to see get them? Who do you think would bring the most kind of entertaining element to the playoffs? Uh, I don't think there's any question that San Jose are, are one of the most entertaining teams in the league. Um, and a lot of the focus has been on 
the the man marking system that that Matias Almeida has instituted, and um, with good reason, it's unique. Um, but they are in attack as well. They knock the ball around really, really well. Um, but they're kind of like the U.S. national team in that their issues are talent based. None of their wingers have, have scored a goal since August 10th. Um, their only reliable goal scorer is 37 year old Chris Wondolowski. Is he 37? So like, 36 or 37, somewhere wow. around there. Oh my goodness, I did not know yeah. that. Yeah, I can't remember if he's Beasley's age or, or a year younger, but somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, so I, it just in terms of it, like you've seen Timbers games lately. Mm-hmm. The Timbers are super talented, but they're not a lot of fun to watch. I, I think Dallas are are, are kind of. Uh, split the difference type of team. Um, but I like this is MLS home field advantage is huge. So I think it would be kind of crazy to, to pick against Portland this coming weekend. So I do expect Portland and Dallas both to advance. Um, yeah. And that, that'll leave Colorado out And over the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. I think the Rapids have been probably better and more fun than any of those three teams. So it's just, it's been a weird, weird year in the West to the point where uh, I don't like. There's no clear second best team out there. It's an LAFC who are still the best team. It's not like they're running away with it anymore. So it's been a strange season for sure. So if it m- remains a strange season, one sort of consistent through uh, playoffs of the past has been the team that kind of hits form at the exact right moment tends to go deep into the playoffs, if not making the final, if not winning the final. So of like the teams in the East or the West, whichever one, who do you think is the team that is sort of rounding into form uh, at the best possible time right now? I don't know if there is anybody. If you, if you, yeah, if you look at the, you know, the, the form, the form guide, the results page, like nobody's, nobody's running into this on a long winning streak. You know, the, the LAFC are unbeaten in five, but four of those are draws. Uh, you know, the Reds only have one loss since the start of August, but they only have two wins. <laughs> you know, the Red Bulls are playing pretty well, but they just, they just drew a scoreless draw at home. They don't. Ha- it's the same Red Bulls team. They don't have that difference maker in, in the final third. And then you look at like Toronto. They're unbeaten in I think eight or nine, um, but they just you know blew a lead at Chicago and then had to come back late via set piece. Like there's there's nobody who's making the case that like yeah we should we're the team to fear. We're the ones who are uh, you know who are, who are going to be head and shoulders above everybody in. Uh, in in the postseason, and part of that as well is like it, it just feels like there are more injuries. Like NYCFC this past weekend, we're missing I think four starters via injury, and uh, obviously Joseph Martinez is still out. Though they're making noise that he'll be okay for the playoffs, and so not being definitive about that. Um, Alejandro Bedoya just picked up a knock for for Philly. Like there are a lot of there are a lot of questions for for just about everybody. Uh, so sticking with that idea, like the injuries, some of the question marks, uh, Pablo Mar uh, was on the show recently. He very emphatically wants MLS Cup final at Yankee Stadium. He wants NYCFC in there. I think that's 30% because he likes NYCFC in the way they play. More so 70% because he wants it to be played on that field. Uh, again, you mentioned the injuries already, but like, why might we see uh, an MLS Cup final played in New York at Yankee Stadium? And what might uh, kind of trip up NYCFC in the playoffs? Well, they... They just released their their postseason schedule, and it looks like if the Yankees make the um, the World Series, which I, I believe they're favored to do, I don't follow a lot of baseball, but um, 
then Yankee Stadium's off the off the list Uh-oh. of places where they can host games. It'll it'll be City Field uh, over in Queens where the Mets play. So, um, re- regardless, uh, I I think what makes like, like Gomez Torrent has been a, a disciple of, of Pep Guardiola's for a dozen years now. And, you know, is very committed to positional play. And um, it, it took some time to, to instill that into this team when he arrived, but they, they've got it now. Um, and so they have a very set system and they, they trust each other. And when you have that set up, they like, they can just play quicker and they can play through you in ways that most of the other teams in this league, kind of don't uh and that like that's presented a struggle to just about everybody at the same time um what could knock them off is is toronto fc toronto fc just absolutely handled it uh and i'm not sure exactly why other than they they you know nycfc can't seem to match up with josie um but i think the only team i would be surprised or i would be i would be shocked if NYCFC lost to the Red Bulls or DC United or, or even Atlanta. Um, I would only be surprised if they lost to, to Toronto FC. All right. Uh, of the teams that didn't make it, actually, let me get to them in a second. First, let me ask you this. Um, how much do you think the change to single elimination factors into things? How big of an impact do you think that's going to have on these playoffs? It's interesting. I, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't given it that much thought, but to me, it seems like the, it, it seems like the right move. Because, uh, you know, traditionally over the last few years, last decade, really, um, the first leg of conference semifinals or finals has just been both teams going out saying nil-nil is fine. And, and that's been kind of awful soccer to watch. And then it ended up feeling like it was not enough of a home field advantage for the higher-seeded team. Well, now the higher-seeded team, like – you get the game. If you had the better regular season, you get the game. Um, and that, I think that, it, just look at home and away splits in, in this league. It's more pronounced than any other league in the world, uh, the value of home field advantage. So I do think it, like, I can't see a, a sixth or seventh seeded team mm-hmm. getting through the bracket. I just can't. You have to win four road games over the span of, of what, two and a half weeks. That's, that's just too much of a haul. So I, I, I would expect, you know, a, a one or two seed to end up winning MLS Cup this year. And if it's ever going to be like a much lower seeded team, it's going to have to be lightning in a bottle. All right. And uh, final question for you. Of the eight teams that have already been eliminated, who is in need of the biggest overhaul? And which of those eight teams do you think, like conversely, maybe their fans should be a little bit optimistic about kind of where things are at the end of the season looking ahead to next season? Uh, I mean, I, I think Columbus fans should actually be pretty optimistic given the way that team has played since the end of July. Um, and they already had a big, a big, uh, sort of overhaul mid-year and we'll continue that into next, into the, the winter transfer window. So uh, just based on results, you have to kind of give them a nod. The, the teams that I think will have huge overhauls are, are probably, uh, Chicago and uh, and Houston for, for obvious reasons, right? You can't just repeatedly miss the playoffs and still hold on your job. I, I I should have mentioned 
Colorado is another team that um, is basically eliminated, um, but should have high hopes and high expectations heading into next year. All right. Well, it makes sense to end on a positive. Matt Doyle, thank you very much for, for trying to cheer me up, for trying to help me make sense of the roster and uh, make sense of the final round of the regular season. Yeah, and if you need more sense made of the final round of the regular season, we are doing uh, pre- and post-game shows, hour-long preview show, hour-long post-game show on MLSsoccer.com, and you can watch it at the at MLS Twitter handle and our YouTube page and our Facebook page as well. Uh, that'll be on, on Sunday. Uh, show starts at, I believe, 2.30, and the, the post-game show starts as, as, soon as, uh, as soon as the games end, which should be around 6, 6.30. Is is Bobby going to be there? Bobby is going to be on assignment. He's okay. down in Philadelphia for that Union NYCFC game. We're going to see how he handles being a, a, a sideline reporter. And what about Goss? Goss is on the road somewhere as well, but I don't recall where. All right, then I'll tune in. That's fine. As long as they're not there, yeah. I'll tune in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a wise policy. <laughs> all, right. all right, Matt. Well, thank you once again. Uh, I look forward to it, uh, as I do all your coverage. So very much appreciate it. Right. Take care, Taylor.